what I believe was the title of two separate essays by the philosopher Bertrand Russell and the novelist E.M. Forster in the early 20th century. These two humanist activists set out their approach to life, their fundamental worldview, in a way that was accessible to all. I'm Andrew Copson, Chief Exec of Humanists UK, and in this podcast I'm talking to humanists today about what they believe, to understand more about the values, convictions and opinions they live by. Tim McGarry is a Northern Irish comedian, actor and former lawyer, best known for playing the part of Dar in 73 episodes of the satirical comedy Give My Head Peace, which he also co-wrote. His other appearances include roles in the sketch show Dry Your Eyes, as well as other projects with his comedy troupe The Hole in the Wall Gang. He's been described as a comedian of the people, for the people. Most importantly, of course, he is a patron of Northern Ireland Humanists. In fact, its first ever patron, speaking at its official launch in 2017. Tim, thank you for joining us on What I Believe. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I'm delighted to be asked. Thank you. Now, I don't want to pigeonhole you, but I thought we might start straight away with perhaps the most obvious thing about you, which is that you are from Northern Ireland. I am very much from Northern Ireland, Andrew. I am um, born and bred in Belfast, have lived here all my life. I'm a very boring man in that I've moved uh, four times within a radius of 500 yards of where I was born. Uh, You're well-grounded. You're grounded well and grounded, rooted. Very, very proud of Northern Ireland, very proud to yeah, come from Northern Ireland. I have a, I have a quite a good successful comedy career, but nobody outside Northern Ireland knows who the heck I am, which is it's kind of nice. I'm kind of a, 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 not as good as Steve Coogan, but I'm kind of like Alan Partridge, massive <laughs> in the Northern Ireland area, but outside world Northern famous Ireland. in Belfast. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, the reason I mention it is because it's almost every humanist I've met from Northern Ireland has got an interesting reflection on how it was that they came to this, these conclusions, these beliefs and values in the end, um, in spite of, or sometimes because yeah. of, uh, <laughs> the, the environment in which they'd grown up. I mean, do you think you're a very Northern Irish type of humanist? I, I think I am, yeah. I mean, Northern Ireland, well, Ireland generally was very famous for, for being very partial to a bit of religion. We took religion very, very seriously in these, this part of the world. Uh, there was always uh, a religion. I came from a very religious background. My mother was was very, very uh, religious, the most Catholic woman in the world. I described her as, you know, she was a daily communicant, went to Mass every single day she could. Uh, when my father died, she actually sold our house uh, to nuns for far less oh, wow. than she could have got because she she liked the nuns and, and somebody else offered to buy the house and she sold the nuns. I come I sometimes feel guilty because I, I love my mother, uh, but she was very very devout. And but I very early on, uh, when the time was about thirteen or fourteen, was dodging mass and not wanting to go to mass. And you know I had was hanging around with a lot of boys in school who were reading things like Albert Camus and things like that. And, oh dear. Uh, we, so with a very obviously as you know the the uh, education system here in Northern Ireland is uh, almost totally segregated so I went to a Catholic uh, primary school run by Christian Brothers and then I went to the secondary school St Malachy's College which was uh, run by priests effectively uh, and it was all boys as well um, now having said that I got a, 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 I tell this joke all the time I had an excellent a really good education it's not nothing wrong with the a couple of things missing girls and Protestants of course but, <laughs> which was uh, the most important to well, you well funny I should say <laughs> G- girls in particular yeah Protestants I can take or leave uh, no I uh, 
that's it. <laughs> uh, but it was a very, as you know, it's a very religious society. Uh, there's a great book you should probably read if you haven't read already called uh, The World's Best Catholics by a guy called Derek Scully. He's an Irish Times journalist, which is about the history of how the Catholic Church became so powerful in Irish society. Right. And uh, from the late 19th century, when the clericalism really came in and the, their total control of society, north and south, in terms of schools and hospitals and orphanages and all the rest of it. And the, you get the Magdalene laundries and the abuse and all of that came, came from that. And it's very good. It's a very good history of how it came to pass and how it has collapsed literally within the last mm. generation or so. That whole thing, that whole feeling of, of Catholic control of, you know, Irish society has just literally disappeared overnight. Going back to your own uh, experience, what 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 effect did that sort of environment have on you? It must have had long-lasting effects and and in your development and ideas. Yeah, well, it, it's as I say, I got a very good education, uh, so I was I was well-read, and I hung around with people who were well-read. I lost my religion. I say was sort of about very early on, about 14, 15 years old. I think actually the moment it really struck me was the uh, when you were confirmed into the Catholic Church, the confirmation, you're baptized, obviously, and all of that, and your first Holy Communion and confession. But one of the the fourteen or fifteen. There's a very big ceremony where effectively the, the Holy Spirit is supposed to come into you and the, the bishop thumps you on the shoulder and you are then confirmed and you accept or as 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 a as a rational, reasonable person, you accept all the all the beliefs of the Catholic Church as an adult, effectively. So you're 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 confirming yourself as a member of the Catholic Church. And it was at that point I just went. This is nonsense. This doesn't right. make any sense to me. This doesn't. I don't feel any different. There's no Holy Spirit coming into me, um, and I had, you know, I mean, like like most teenage boys, mass was always very boring, and you you didn't really you get an awful lot out of it. My mother, as I say, was very very devout, and you know, dragged us on to mass as, as much as possible, uh, but. You know, I, I hung around with some guys and said we had been reading books, and we uh, this is long before this is long before Christopher Hitchens or any of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is just just going. This doesn't make any sense, does it? You know. This... So it didn't make sense, and also you didn't experience anything. Nothing ever happened. No. You never had what they sort of promised you, which was some sort of. Yes. You know, feeling that. Yeah. And this is long before, by the way, this is long before any abuse scandal or anything like that. I mean, I, you know, I, I was educated by the Christian brothers who have a, a terrible reputation now, but I have nothing to, but good to say about the Christian brothers in right. my primary school. I had a, an idyllic childhood. Uh, I never encountered, a, 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 you know, an abusing priest in any of that way. Um, my mother was very, very religious. There were a lot of priests come in and out of our house all the time. They literally, they, you know, the, the old cliche about, uh, you know, the, the best tea in China coming out and the, the, the priest brought to the best room and everybody kowtowing to the priest. There was all of that, but there was never, I, I never felt anything, I never felt under threat or any abuse or anything. Now, later in life, uh, as well as doing comedy, we also write drama, and I was involved in a, in a drama called Betrayal of Trust about the paedophile priest, Brenton Smith, which is a fascinating case. It was 1994. There was a family in West Belfast who basically were found out that uh, this priest had been abusing and found that he'd been abusing all over, not just uh, Ireland, but actually in England and in America. Oh. And they pursued it and pursued it and pursued it. And it was basically the first case that lifted the rock on the, you know, what was the, the mixing my metaphors here, the avalanche of the tsunami of, of abuse. And this was the first local case in 1994. And it, 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 became, it became a cause celebrity, brought about the downfall of the Irish government at the time and became a cause celeb. But up until then, I mean, 
I was more or less unaware of that sort of thing when actually when the thing broke. And, I, and I, again, I, I do feel sorry for my mother, and I don't like to insult my, my mother's memory, but she just could not believe, could not believe the priest would do such a thing. She didn't believe know? it, or she just couldn't. Did, she couldn't did, bring it. Did she actually believe it in the end? Because I mean, well, some people she, didn't, did they? They said so, no. I just she, don't. She closed her mind to it, and then I think was you know the evidence was becoming overwhelming and then you know, later in life she kind of I, I think which well, she ended up with Alzheimer's unfortunately but uh, yeah. I think it was one of those things where she just you know started to blot it out and she still went to mass every single day of course and you know tried to rationalize it by saying a few bad apples and all of that and you go well no the few bad <laughs> apples were facilitated by the hierarchy yeah. the entire way through you know. But at the time, it wasn't, uh, you didn't know about any of that, no, so it wasn't no, a moral I, I, thing or a, no, no, you, you didn't lose, you weren't sort of like some people uh, were, you weren't uh, sort of disabused and 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 um, shocked by things that had happened. You just didn't believe it no, anymore no, I didn't, I, and I, you did, moved on. I hung it. around with a few guys who were into sort of lefty politics and things they got in red. I, one of the big things that was a big motivator was Bertrand Russell's Why I'm Not a Christian. Uh, and I remember reading that at sort of 14, 15. Uh, I tell a joke now, you know, my mother was so Catholic, you know, I had to wrap up Why I'm Not a Christian in a pornographic magazine. And it's put in my bookshelf. It was quite a brave thing to put in my bookshelf is mother what do you mean what's this about and why uh, but i just remember sort of you know the clarity of of bertrand russell's stuff and basically him saying look uh god did not create man man created god and every society has a god and they all we, we they're clearly a man-made creation and they're all slightly different but they all have their sort of their, their different stories as to creation but it doesn't make any sense i mean obviously that man makes up these gods and then follows them and makes up the rules themselves and they, all these holy books, supposedly holy books. You're, there's no divine inspiration in any in the, in the Quran or the Bible that I can see, to be honest with you. I mean, there are bits of it that are, that are good, that are bound to be good. You know, there's a, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I mean, like, yeah, you should it's say everywhere. It's similar. Yeah. yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a basic premise uh, of, of morality. And uh, I don't think that that is, that is God given. So what do you think it was that, I mean, you're, you're there, your friends are reading Camus, you're reading Bertrand Russell, this is all sort of like, this is an interesting way to spend your teenage years. Um, what, what was it that um, that took you in that direction? I mean, that, 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 they're the things that, you know, changed your mind and that you realised um, and gave you these realisations and these attitudes and so on. But why, presumably many of your other classmates didn't, they just went along with the Christian brothers and um, why, why were you different or you do you think I probably wasn't that different? I think there was a, I mean, it was I a wholesale effect that the Christian I, well, brothers were having on everyone. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I, I, a lot of people who claim to be Catholics and Christians or, 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 or you know, adherents to a lot of religions don't really bother with it, you know, and they may turn up because they have to and to please their mother and things. I don't think a lot of, a lot of people really? actually genuinely believe. And funny, as, as an atheist, you know, as a, a fully devout atheist, I take more interest in religion than a lot of, you know, people who are religious. And I go, you don't even know the basic premises of these things like transubstantiation or what's the difference between a Catholic and a Protestant, the, how did the Reformation come about, and why did it come about and all that sort of stuff. And I take, I take all that stuff quite seriously because I'm interested in it, but I think most, if you, ask, you, knock the, you know, stop the average Catholic or Protestant and ask them about, you know, the difference between transubstantiation and Lutherism and what's the difference between Methodism and Presbyterianism, you know, I don't think they would be able to, many people would be able to give you, a, the ordinary punter in the street be able to give you an answer to that. And I, you know, from, from 
from my side, there was a lot of people just kind of went to mass because they had to go to mass. I was, you know, with a few people who go and no, we, we openly rejected religion. Part of that as well, of course, was the political situation in Northern Ireland, which didn't help. Religion did not cover itself in glory uh, in the right. last few, <laughs> well, certainly the last few decades. Of, of so that was trouble. part of your changing beliefs that, as well, that, was it? Absolutely. Yeah. That absolutely was, you know, there were, I mean, the IRA were very 99.9% Catholic and loyalists were, you know, Murders were were not, um, virtually one hundred percent Protestant, uh, uh, killing someday in the name of religion and being shot just because you were a Catholic, you know, and that obviously put you. Well, I I don't want to be part of that particular. Yeah, team, yeah, you know, yeah. Count me out, you know. That's something you want to opt out of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you did. And so, did you find? I mean, external observers of Northern Ireland, obviously, one of the first things they think is. Not, not so much now, but but certainly thinking about in the past, is that they think of sectarianism, they think of segregation, they think of division. Um, was this something that, do you think, affected your own evolving and developing beliefs? I mean, do, do you do you feel like you led a segregated life, or or or, or the opposite, were against a segregated life, and that informed your views? I- I didn't meet a, a proper Protestant or have a Protestant friend until I went to university at 18. Right. Uh, we're still a very divided society. I'm a passionate advocate of integrated education here, but only 7% of children here go to schools that are formally integrated. Uh, I'm a passionate advocate. Of, so, but So I, I really didn't know any Protestants until 18, 19, when I studied law at Queen's University and a, a that did law with a few animals. I started to meet and make friends with Protestants. We, when we were started to be successful as the Hole in the Wall gang, there was a lot of interest from English journalists. And every single question was, how many of you are Catholic and how many of you are Protestant? Really? Yeah. You have to be mixed, you know, because you were from Northern Ireland, you were put in that in that box. And in fact, you know, there were, we were mixed Protestant and Catholic, but we were we were basically five atheists, you know, rather than, you know. <laughs> but they wanted to know whether you're Catholic atheist or a Protestant atheist. <laughs> um, did this happen quite naturally? I mean, because you went to university, you just mix naturally people from different backgrounds so you Absolutely. weren't conscious of fighting against well, any sort of segregation no, well, or... I, I, I took on the early to mid 80s where there was still a very heavily uh, even in Queens there, there's there was segregation you know so there would have been Gaelic football clubs that would have been massively Catholic and there were mm. you know, there were there, there was a lot of still a lot of political an awful lot of political violence at that time Clearly, one of our lecturers was shot dead and the, the, the sister of a very good friend of ours was shot dead uh, so there was a lot of that sort of stuff happening so there was segregation even within Queen's University at the time, right. but there was also the uh, there were hundreds of us studying law at the time, and there was you know you were all thrown together, and if you wanted to, you could hang around only with Protestants who you knew from school, or if you wanted to, you could you could get involved in different societies and meet more, have a have a wider uh, collective of friends. So university was the place where you opened up to that sort of diversity. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, and from that stage on, I'd kind of, you know, withdrawn from religion completely as much as I was, except when, I, you know, my mother made me go to things and drive her to mass and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, I, I was completely atheist. Now, having said that, I never came out as a, a formally as an atheist until very recently. In fact, why was you know, that? I, partly, uh, partly laziness, partly fear, <laughs> partly I've tickets partly to sell. <laughs> partly, well, you know, it, it, I mean, there's the same religion is very very popular in Northern Ireland it's becoming less so I mean I think I'm absolutely delighted to say that Northern Ireland is as you know the fastest growing area in the UK um, yeah 
of the humanists for, for humanists which yeah. is and look at humanist marriage now i mean the growth in humanist oh. marriage in the first two years of legal recognition has been faster than the growth in scotland in their first yeah. two years of marriage recognition i mean that is an amazing it's a, fact it's a me i've been in i've been to five weddings in the last six months and only one of them was in a Catholic, was in a church that's amazing church. isn't it i yeah. mean that's just yeah. a change a, a revolution actually not a all humanists made it but civil ceremonies or yeah. whatever but yeah. you no, know course, non-religious yeah. ceremonies uh, are, are far more popular now and i think yeah. the, the the church has just i mean that they've fallen away massively in terms of their influence um that was seen particularly down south on the uh, debate about gay marriage or the referendum on gay marriage which passed by a massive majority but even more the the, the thing on abortion where you know i mm-hmm. i'm I know a lot of Christians and a lot of Catholics and Protestants. There are there are moral objections to to abortion that I can understand and debate with people. I can see, but the the, the church's influence has just absolutely been destroyed, you know. And literally, the Catholic Church, you know, to said that badger baiting was bad. You know, a lot of people go get, get a dog <laughs> go and go right to bait some badgers for a bit of crack, you know. But in the past, it wasn't like that. So you were deterred from being honest about your beliefs openly because I, of the consequences. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, up until, as I say, the the, the mid. 90s when the, the Brenton Smith case the, the church was still very very powerful institution um in fact <laughs> I don't like to give too many details of my personal life but I, I married a woman who was uh, a divorcee and my mother genuinely sent me to a priest <laughs> to uh, <laughs> tell me that he you know that we were living in sin that we should you know try and live like brother and sister rather than two you know oh, uh, yeah um so I, yeah so I went against the Catholic Church and, and uh, married a, in a civil ceremony which caused some ruction within the family minor ructions to be fair but some ructions uh, and some disapproval um but even by that that was sort of the mid 90s even by the end sort of the, the power was slightly waning and then this this whole tsunami of scandal that, that hit the catholic church i don't think they've they've recovered from it Hi, this is Andrew, appearing halfway through the podcast to remind you that this is a podcast from Humanist UK, the national charity working on behalf of non-religious people to advance free thinking and promote a tolerant society. If you'd like to support the podcast or find out more about the humanist approach to life, Humanist UK or the work that we do, you can find out more at the Humanist UK website, humanists.uk. And if you like what you see, please consider giving us your support or joining as a member. So now you don't feel any social pressure at all to um, keep quiet about your beliefs? No, no, and I, I only joined the humanist basically by accident. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, genuinely, my, my son was uh, was going to university and we were dandering around one day and uh, Boyd Slater happened to have a wee, um, a wee stall at Queen's University. And I thought, oh, just, I've always been an atheist, go over and say hello and see if my son wants to sign up. And Boyd Slater said, Tim, because as I say, I have a bit of fame here locally, and he was very keen to go. Oh yeah, do you want to join the atheists and the humanists? And I went, well, why not? You know, and, and, and you know, I've always, you know, I've always been, as I say, a follower of Christopher Hitchens and Dawkins and stuff up until that time. And I thought, oh yeah, well, why not? Why not just you know come clean and say that's what I am? I mean, most people who knew me knew know that I am, you know, not religious in any shape or form. Uh, but it was, you know, I'm not saying it was equivalent to coming out, but it is something to say. Listen publicly, uh, and it started doing stand-up as well and telling jokes about being an atheist, which I mm, find quite mm. not, 
not worrying at the time, but I thought, I wonder how this will go down with people, you know, and, you know, there are a lot of people still take religion very, very seriously in this country, but I was getting a lot of laughs for saying, you know, talking about my religious background and talking about, you know, mass and talking about my mother and things like that and how I just didn't believe any of it. And it went down very well and it was getting great reaction. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, comedy's comedy. I don't want like to proselytize when, I, when I'm doing comedy, you know, but it's it's something that it's, 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 um, it's a relief. It's, it's a kind of... Um, it's an endorsement to myself, sorry, just to say uh, openly, yeah, I'm an atheist, absolutely. Happy to tell anybody and happy to argue with anybody about it as well. And I'm, I'm more than happy to say I'm a humanist. How did you, I mean, you got you went into comedy, obviously, um, and um, you're a very successful comedian. Did do you, what motivated you into comedy? Was there uh, any strong feelings about what, you know, why, why you did that? Well, uh, I met a couple of guys at Queen's University who I'm still stuck with 40 years later, <laughs> literally 40 years later. Uh, but we started, uh, we were, fa- I mean, I, I'm, I'm a generation sort of, of Monty Python and uh, John Cleese and things like that. Not the 9 o'clock news was a big show in the late 70s that would have influenced us. Um, but we all, we were, for the first time, we, we were that generation that, along with Patrick Keelty, who was around about the same time, first people to talk about the troubles and to do jokes about sectarianism and do political jokes about Northern Ireland because up until sort of the early 70s, there was a lot of jokes, a lot of jokes made about the Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland. Then when the troubles really broke out, there was literally nothing. Right. I mean, there were, first of all, no theatres where you could perform in, but there was no outlet on radio and TV for jokes about the Northern Ireland situation or jokes about Ian Paisley or jokes about the IRA and Jerry Adams and stuff like that. And there was there was a kind of uh, there was a black humor that you would get in pubs that was very dark and black humor, but there was no formal way of of, of expressing you know what was happening you know politically on, on the streets and uh, and the news every day. So when we did it, we, we were quite nervous at the time when we first started do, writing jokes about the political situation. But there was also a sense of relief from an audience when we started telling jokes about right, they right. haven't heard this in a long time. You know that somebody was having a go at the IRA and not just condemning them, but being funny about it as well. Right. You know and having go at Ian Paisley and not just saying he had a loud voice but condemning his sectarianism and that was you know for us it was it was a huge but for an audience there was, there was a real rush of thank god somebody's finally saying this so that was sort of what what was what was your comedy doing there what were you you were releasing tension you were well, having people think about what was going on a making bit of that, sense yeah. of it I mean, there was, we're talking sort of late, early to mid 80s. I mean, I would have been, you know, not, not quite a punk, but I would have been sort of in that sort of vibe of stiff little fingers where there was an anti sectarian vibe off there and saying, listen, this is all nonsense. We don't want to be a part of this. But there was nobody saying that in a, in a comedic way. Mm. Um, any half decent comedian or that went to, well, you know, got out of Northern Ireland and went to England and things like that, you know, the likes of right. Rome, because there was no, there were no outlets here, you know, so it was very hard to get, to get either on radio or to get a stage or to get somewhere to do this there were no comedy clubs or anything like that so it was it was a partly we were just being funny partly we were kind of we weren't trying to be overly didactic and you know the worst thing you can do in comedy is to preach to people and say listen well could you all please get on and stop fighting <laughs> and you know why don't you love one another but we were satirizing political attitudes we were satirizing politicians we were you know having to go at paramilitaries themselves and say look you know, the overall point was, if you looked at it broadly, was clearly there was an anti-sectarian, this is nonsense, could we please stop shooting each other uh, message. But that was a very broad overall message. But I mean, that was the, the tone and the vibe of it. But we were never kind of, we didn't do three jokes about Protestants and then go, right, we have to do three jokes about Catholics. This is, But there was an overall kind of 
balance to the to the thing and we started doing sketch shows and then we started doing stuff on radio and we started doing a, a sitcom over here that's been very successful called give my head peace which has run for 26 years now. and that's what really everyone sort of recognizes you in the airport for or recognizes you in the yeah that uh, there's there's a give my head peace the sitcom and then there's also the panel show i do the blame game which is yes. a panel show that i do which has become very big as well but yeah, Give Me a Headpiece is still massive locally. Uh, it doesn't travel. It's, it's not Derry girls, but it's funny. The BBC <laughs> were very clear. They said, look, this is for a BBC Northern Ireland audience, for a, for a Northern Ireland audience. It doesn't travel very well. But in fact, uh, English people are quite shocked by it sometimes because some of the attitudes and the language are, uh, they're, they're based in, on real sectarian characters. You know, we, we have a, a died in the world loyalist bigot and he says things that are, you know, they're sometimes unacceptable, even in, in 2022. Uh, but we're obviously satirizing that and we have a, the character I play as a, as a Sinn Féin character who claims to be far closer to uh, Jerry Adams and to the, to the boys in the IRA than he really is but he, he's <laughs> playing up to it you know uh, and there's it's a, it's a Romeo and Julia thing it's, it's, it's a very successful sitcom partly because it's satire but also because they're, they're larger than life cartoony two-dimensional characters to a certain extent but you can use that vehicle to make political points and you know you can you can use that vehicle to be very satirical as well and we've we've done that quite successfully. So is your comedy now really still doing the same job it was doing in the eighties, highlighting the 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 the, the humour in or not the humour, you know, poking poking satire at the uh, political situation, well, or you say you've expanded it more into religion now as well. The, the middle ground in Northern Ireland seems to be getting bigger in that the, the traditional Catholic and Protestant parties, and they are virtually exclusively Catholic and Protestant, Sinn Féin and the, and the DUP. I mean, I don't think the DUP have a single Catholic councillor, MP, MLA or anything. Sinn Féin, if they have a Protestant, uh, if they have a prominent Protestant, they'll boast about them or her, you know, uh, you'll know about it. Um, so, But the middle ground is growing. Um, we I'm not taking credit for any of that, but things have changed over the last 20, 25 years and they have slowly developed. Uh, but what you're finding now is that people are less religious, but they're still culturally Catholics and culturally Protestants uh, and politically Catholics and politically Protestants and that they'll, they'll still, you know, the vast majority of people who are born Protestant, whether they go to church or not, will vote for unionist parties. And the vast majority of Catholics who are born Catholics will vote for nationalist parties. Mm. Do you think that that is, I mean, with the success of parties like the Alliance Party and and and, and others, do you, do you think there's a there's a change in society in that direction? Uh, and this, this society is, sometimes it needs to be dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century. We were a bit behind the times with uh, equal marriage, but we got there eventually by appealing to Westminster. Uh, same with, you know, reproductive rights have finally come to Northern yeah. Ireland, a long time coming, all of that. But things like, we're still a very segregated society. As I say, the, the, the our, our housing is, is, the social housing is vastly segregated. There's still, if you come to Belfast, I can take you around North Belfast, which is very divided. And you literally go street by street and go, that's a Protestant area. That's a Catholic area. Uh, and you'll find areas in Belfast that are, you know, 99% one religion or the other. Um, even middle-class areas and well-to-do areas, you'll find they're still very strictly segregated. And that segregation just feeds into society. And we can, you know, if you want to you can live in a catholic area go to a catholic school read a catholic newspaper watch catholic sports and not meet in a you know somebody from the other side and the same on the other side as well you know you can you can literally have their own newspapers have their own sports yeah. teams, have their own areas and you don't have to leave your area 
you know, you'll have your your pubs and your recreation facilities and all of that because everything is everything is segregated. With you, the Catholics get a get a leisure centre in the Falls Road. The Protestants have to give one on the Shankle Road. Right, and you you've mentioned briefly uh, earlier on in this discussion, but maybe you can come come to it at greater length now. You personally, of course, have been a very loud advocate for integrated schooling as 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 one way at least of breaking down those barriers. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I would like a, a you know a, a secular education system and one single secular education system. Uh, powerful influences in Northern Ireland have have prevented even you know integrated mm. education. Um, but I actually was a it was a unionist way back in the 1920s who wanted to have a have a union uh, wanted to have integrated education. Lord Londonderry introduced it very early on in the Northern Ireland state, but it was resisted by two forces. The Catholic Church were very very powerful, but there was also huge resistance from the Orange Order and extremist Protestants who wanted mm. the, the control of their own schools. And there's this fear of the other side as well, you know. But the Catholic control of schools is is the, their their main lever now. It it is being down south in particular in the Republic of Ireland that they're they're they're, they're retreating even from that position and I think I'll but I think the, they'll hang on to it as I much mean, as possible yeah, yeah. They're, they're very little across left. Europe that's happened you know the Catholic Church has really where, where it's hung on to nothing else it's hung on to it's yeah. same, same in England you know it's hung well, on a, to a funny but yeah again it's, you know one of the disasters of, of Blair that I would argue is, is is allowing religious schools I think it's absolute disaster absolute yeah. disaster yeah and uh, to lie any, I, you know, I'm a, as a secularist, I believe completely in religious freedom. You believe whatever you want, you worship whatever you want, whatever way you want. You know, as long as you're not infringing other people's rights. But if there's, if you're going to be educated, there should be one state education system. If you want to teach your children the Torah or the Quran or whatever, do it in your own time, my friend. You know, that would be my position. So, is the benefit of integrated education in your mind that 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 children meet each other, grow up together? And- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. We're 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 still a very divided side. We're not as violent as we used to be. But you know, even over the protocol, there's been some incidents and things like that. But there, there I I support a, I support a football team, the Cliftonville, who who's, the vast majority of their fans would come from one section of the community, uh, the Catholic community, and you know, there's still guys who go there and chant Uya up the Ra and IRA pro IRA songs, which they're a minority and we we don't want them and the club is doing everything to get rid of them. But you know, I, I don't want to be patronizing because I know a lot of these people, but they wouldn't mm. know any Protestants. They haven't met any Protestants. Mm. And same on the other side as well, they're guys, you know, who are you know very sectarian because they don't know any Catholic. You haven't met any you, haven't, you know and we literally take our kids at the age of four uh, and divide them into into separate schools and they and then they they'll have all this nonsense about sort of shared Worry that you know there'll be there'll be courses where the Catholic kids will meet the Protestant kids and they'll, they'll yeah, meet yeah. each other once again for a sports day or going to the zoo or something. <laughs> and you go, well, I'm sorry, you know, teaching you know teaching tolerance in a in a segregated school is a bit like teaching celibacy in a brothel. You know, the, the, the surroundings <laughs> the surroundings tell you where you are and what the real vibe is and what the yeah, real yeah. what the real uh, uh, situation is. Do you have any sectarian background in your family, or was it? I mean, that you say your mother was a devout Catholic and. Um, I don't know if your father was as well, but were they? Were they? Was there? Was there? Was there politics in the house as well, or was it mainly just? No, they were no, no. The, the, the politics was was fairly moderate politics. My father was a surgeon in the Matter Hospital in Belfast, and I'm afraid right. was used to seeing the the results of some of the, some of the violence. We had a, had a had a great aunt who was very involved in the old Republican movement of the of the uh, the twenties, but she was a bit of an outlier. Uh, and our politics were fairly moderate. In fact, my brother was the victim of a of a of quite a nasty. Beating late in the uh, in the late seventies, 
but instead of uh, taking up the gun or joining the IRA, he joined the Alliance Party. <laughs> became became which Mr. Is the best Mother, revenge. Which is the best? <laughs> yeah. it, it's been snow revenge yeah. for him, <laughs> but it's it's uh, it has been revenge for him. Uh, so no, we we were always fairly moderate in in our, in our politics, um, and you know I was disabused very early on of the the notion that you know killing or dying for Ireland was it was a good thing to do. Mm. And what about um, humour? What about comedy? Did that come from your home environment? Was your was, yeah. your, was your dad they a bit of a joker? My dad, my dad in particular had a very nice, dry, sarcastic sense of humour. He had a <laughs> nice line and one-liners and a really good dry wit. Uh, had a had a sarcasm, uh, and he was a very well-read man as well. That's why you know it was a benefit. To there were always books around the house and things like that, and he encouraged me, you know, and all of that. So, um, and I just I just loved comedy when when I was young. And then I met these two guys at, at, uh, at university, one of whom, Damon Quinn, had written plays and comedy plays and sketches himself and sort of got us involved. So it evolved from there. And we, I was a full time lawyer for most of the for a lot of the time when we were doing the comedy on the side. So it was took a while before we eventually gave it up. The value of education runs through everything you've said, you know, the education you've oh, got with the Christian brothers and I, then at home and university, that's your life would have been very different and your opinions very different if you hadn't had those privileges of, of education. I think. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I even uh, remember a priest who taught us religious education in St. Malachy's who was quite open about, you know, letting us say we don't believe this you know and he argued back and all of that but he he was he was very open about that uh, and as i say reading is always encouraged i mean reading does no harm whatsoever uh, reading expands the mind uh, and that's why i'm well I, well i'm quite militantly atheist and i mean that in a, in a night you know i'm 99.9 no i'm 100 certain there is there's no there's no God and there's no outside influence and there's no divine inspiration or anything like that. I do like and respect and love a lot of a lot of a lot of Christians and religious people and I'm mates with them uh, and I have good arguments with them and I debate with them and they respect me and I respect them. Uh, and I think that comes from you know just having having a, a tolerance, you know. And I think sometimes you know if I'm criticizing our side, sometimes we can get a bit too arrogant and a bit too sneery about how stupid religious people are and I think there's there's a little element of arrogance sometimes creeps into what we do uh, and I think that's slightly dangerous and I think we have to you know I, 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 I don't want to patronize religious people as well but I don't you know I, I want to argue with them but I don't think you can sneer and be and be you know arrogant about them you know I these religious beliefs are very deeply held, and they're they're very varied. Of course, we can mock all sorts of particularly on the on the extremes of some of these things. But at the same time, you know, they don't come from nowhere. These these religious beliefs, and they've created great culture, and they have Mozart, Mozart, and the cathedrals, and all of that. Uh, and you know, so th there's a value in religion as well. Uh, and, and I say that as a, as, a, as an atheist, and I say that as a you know as, as a mark of respect as well. Devout atheism, accidental humanism, the values of education and comedy, mutual respect and tolerance. Thank you, Tim McGuire, for telling us what you believe. You're very kind. Thank you, Andrew. That was Tim McGarry speaking for the What I Believe podcast. What I Believe is a weekly podcast from Humanists UK, and this was the fourth episode of the fifth season. We'll be releasing new episodes every Thursday. If you'd like to support the podcast, find out more about Humanism, Humanists UK, or the work that we do, you can find out more on the Humanists UK website, humanists.uk. And if you like what you see there, please consider joining up as a supporter or member. You can also find out more about Humanism by purchasing the Sunday Times best-selling book, The Little Book of Humanism, available in all good bookshops. Mm -hmm.